Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Well, China's consumer inflation, as we've been hearing, accelerated in July to the highest level in two years. Joining us from our Hong Kong studio to discuss is Ender Curran, Bloomberg's chief Asia economics correspondent. So not unique with high prices, uh, Ender, but how much is this going to complicate things for the PBOC that's trying to uh, stimulate the economy? So on a headline basis, it does suggest inflation in China is accelerating, Juliet. In particular, what's driving up the headline number has been a big uptick in the price of food. Pork prices actually gained 20% on year, and uh, fresh fruit and veg also up in the double-digit uh, area as well. So food is a big part of what's happening. Uh, and it might suggest that China's inflation is accelerating, except I would point out to you that on a core basis, China's inflation actually only gained 0.8%. So on a core basis, which is really what a lot of central banks ultimately look at, that strips out the price of oil and, and food and everything else, it's fairly modest. So... I'm not sure that this will change the game that much in China. We know Premier Li Keqing himself has said, by the way, that as long as they can keep inflation, say, below 3.5% and unemployment below 5.5%, they can kind of nurse things along okay. So, so, you know, on a headline basis, yes, China's inflation is accelerating. You could say that's pointing towards a global trend, but I don't see it as a game changer. You look at the trade data that we had earlier in the week, and particularly the export numbers, very robust. I can't recall, I think it was 18%. Was that the gain, Enda? So when you look at what's happening with producer prices, uh, an increase increase of 4.2%. And I think it's also fair to point out that there has been a substantial pullback in the price of crude oil, probably since uh, the survey data for the month of July was put together. Yeah, so the producer price story in China is a dramatic turnaround from where we were a year ago. So today's numbers did show, like you mentioned, A, producer prices are cooling, and that's for two reasons. Number one, a base effect. It's being compared to a big surge one year ago. And number two, like you mentioned, commodity prices coming off the boil and oil prices coming off the boil. Remember that oil actually is back to where it was before the Russia invasion of Ukraine. So all of that is lending itself towards taking pressure off China's factory cost base. That would be good for their profits. And, you know, at the margins, it might sort of um, take pressure off the global inflation story because the Chinese factories won't be under as much pressure to lift their own prices to their global consumers. Um, but when you take the PPI slowdown in, in its totality in China, though, it just kind of adds to the picture I was saying a few moments ago that, OK, you can say headline inflation is picking up, but the overall inflation story in China remains certainly relatively subdued and even somewhat subdued, really. And I think that the authorities won't be too concerned about it and they will continue to uh, tap some money into the economy to keep things ticking over.
All right, continue to stimulate then and looking ahead as well into what kind of, I guess, impact we've seen from uh, the COVID lockdowns and, and how much further that could complicate things too. There's no doubt that the ongoing COVID lockdowns are complicating the recovery, especially on the services and the consumer side. And that's one of the reasons inflation is somewhat subdued, Juliet. Uh, you know, there has, there has been, a, clearly the export story has recovered. Uh, maybe that's a mixture of factories getting back online after the lockdowns. Maybe it does reflect ongoing robust global demand, but there are some signs of weakness in the numbers. But nonetheless, the really soft part of the economy remains the real estate sector, the consumer spending sector and the services sector and COVID zero is kind of having casting a long shadow over all of that. And obviously with the variants of Omicron that we all know about, that's going to continue testing China's strategy. And you could argue China's over the worst of its lockdowns. Shanghai came out of that brutal two month lockdown uh, at the end of May and perhaps China's pulling clear of that. But nobody can say that for certain. It's still a long time before the party Congress comes up in November. So if there's not a resolution to the fact that the property market is still suffering right now, sales continue to shrink. If there's not a resolution, does that mean that there is the probability that we're going to see even more of a drag when it comes to inflationary pressures on the retail level because the property market is in such dire straits? Yeah, I don't think anybody's yet calling a bottom or a turnaround for the real estate sector. And as you say, when you consider the outsized effect that has on people's sense of self-worth, on household net worth in terms of overall economic activity, the estimates are up to maybe around 20% of economic activity. So if you have the housing sector in the slump that it is, with sales demand continuing to be weak, and anyway, the ongoing practical disruptions linked with COVID zero in terms of what that means for finishing developments and people getting out and about, of course that's going to continue to be a drag on the broader economy. Um, Nonetheless, though, the, the consensus is that China's second half will still be better than the first half, that things will be improving, that the infrastructure spending is getting accelerated at the local government level, that will stir up some activity, that the authorities will put a floor under the, under the real estate sector. Already they are taking measures. Remember, talk of a special fund to help those developers get those projects finished and, of course, mortgage forgiveness for those people who don't want to pay their mortgages uh, until the, the developments are done. So there's a suggestion that maybe they might put a floor under it. But again, a lot of ifs and buts in all of this, you would have to say there still remains a lot of pressure on, on China's economy. And if the export story does come off the boil, the way people have been calling for a long time now, then it could be a bumpy end of the year for them. Speaking of getting out and about, I know you've been closely monitoring both uh, for your job and personally what's happening in Hong Kong with the reduction of quarantine too. What are you hearing from uh, analysts in terms of whether or not this is going to be able to revive and support Hong Kong's role as a key financial centre? Yeah, well, it's obviously it's Stockholm syndrome. Again, you would have to say when they cut quarantine from seven nights to three nights, that's clearly a positive. It does will lend itself towards better mobility and will help both residents and business people getting into and out of Hong Kong going forward. But, of course, let's not forget where we are relative to the rest of the world. It's still not just quarantine, but several kind of layers of, of defence or tripwires uh, that prohibit passengers or travellers getting to and from Hong Kong. So that's going to continue to drag on the mobility, on its role as a global hub, on the ability to do business with the rest of the world, especially when New York and London, Singapore have reconnected with everybody else. There is a feeling that the authorities are in a path or a trajectory now that they will continue to ease, barring some kind of another massive outbreak with variants, etc. That remains to be seen. They're obviously being very cautious as they are. There is supposed to be a big financial summit in November. People looked at that as maybe a deadline for when they might ease up in the following three days and move to some kind of a PCR testing thing. But 
you know, operating within the political system that they are, obviously on a headline basis, you would say it's a positive for Hong Kong. It's, it's they're stepping forward, but you know, clearly it's a negative at the same time. We've a long way to go. All right. Well, let's hope and uh, might be able to see you in November. Enda Curran, Bloomberg's chief Asia economics correspondent, with us in Hong Kong. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid to large size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.